Greetings and welcome to the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets pop culture. And we've just returned from being a little bit politically active. We were just at the Say Yes to a Price on a Carbon Pollution Rally in Sydney, which was held on World Environment Day. And there I chatted to Petra Liverani from Beyond Zero Emissions. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit, volunteer-run organisation whose core goal is to develop blueprints for the implementation of climate change solutions in Australia. In partnership with the University of Melbourne's Energy Research Institute, Beyond Zero Emissions are undertaking the Zero Carbon Australia 2020 project, which puts together fully costed transition plans for getting Australia to zero emissions in 10 years using commercially available technology. And last year I attended their launch event for the Zero Carbon Australia Stationary Energy Plan, which goes into detail about how Australia can reach 100% renewable energy within the decade. And speakers at this event included former New South Wales Premier Bob Carr, Member for Wentworth Malcolm Turnbull, Green Senator Scott Ludlam, and Matthew Wright, who is Executive Director of Beyond Zero Emissions. In this podcast, I bring you, with permission from Matthew Wright, his speech at the launch event, which details the science behind their proposal. And I also bring you my brief chat with Beyond Zero Emissions volunteer Petra Liverani at the rally in Sydney. Here we go. Thank you, Quentin. Uh, thank you to uh, our previous speakers, the Honourable Malcolm Turnbull, uh, Bob Carr, the former Premier of New South Wales, uh, Senator Scott Ludlam, and thank you to Alan Jones and the City of Sydney, uh, who've been so gracious to provide, put this event on for you, to, or to sponsor this event tonight. Um, so I'm obviously uh, the Executive Director of Beyond Zero Emissions. Um, I'm one of the people behind this report. There's actually more than 30 people behind it and a whole lot of other driving forces. So I'd like to thank all those people who've uh, made this possible because I certainly couldn't have done anything near this on my own. Um, so this is the Zero Carbon Australia Stationary Energy Plan. It's about 100% renewable energy. We've chosen a decade as a time frame. I'll tell you that, about that in a bit, but basically, uh, it shows you a project management timeline that you can model around, that you can show whether you have the labour, the resources, all the things required. You can line all the ducks up and make it happen. So uh, on the climate science, you've all heard about uh, the Arctic ice situation and Vislof Melsfosky, he's the lead oceanographer in the US Navy. He says there's a possibility that the Arctic sea ice cover in the summer of 2013 could be completely gone. That means that something that reflects normally 90% of light radiation back in, out into space would be absorbing the heat of an area the size of Australia. Now, if that eventuates in such an early time frame, you've got to worry about the sta stability of, of Greenland uh, behind me at the bottom of the chart. And uh, if you've got stability problems with Greenland, well, that's going to affect international shipping and sea levels. So not to dwell on that... Um, uh, the Potsdam Institute and Ang Angela Merkel, uh, German Chancellor Ang Angela Merkel's advisor on climate change, Professor Hans-Joachim Schellenhuber, um, he's done modelling around a carbon budget where each country has, has a per person, per capita budget out to 2050 on how much, how much emissions they can, uh, they can uh, put up into the atmosphere. And for the USA, they've modelled, which has very similar per capita emissions to Australia, they need to be at zero emissions by 2020 if everybody has an equal budget, and that's just for a 67% chance of not exceeding two degrees Celsius. Now, I wouldn't have hopped on an aeroplane to come up from Melbourne to Sydney if there was only a 67% chance of getting it. 
getting here, but it's a lot better than, uh, than doing nothing at all. So uh, basically, in order to address the problem, we got together a whole lot of people who wanted to roll up their sleeves and get the job done. We put together the Can Do team. And the Can Do team is a group of scientists, engineers, their PhDs, their, uh, their chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. They work in industry, regulatory, uh, they work in academia. And uh, the team together put together this plan, which is, a, which is a plan about getting the job done and how we, can, how we can get on with it. And we decided that if you've got science that says this is a serious problem, then you need answers that are serious. And that's what the Zero Carbon Australia plan is. So in terms of 10 years, some more rationale around that. Al Gore says that uh, a promise to do something 40 years from now is universally ignored. The only way you can really hold a steady aim uh, and hit your target is if you have a, a time frame that humans can get their head around, and that's 10 years. And so that was when Al Gore talked about 100% clean electricity and ending dependence of foreign oil, and he started that campaign in the US a, a couple of years ago. Likewise, in uh, Stanford University engineer, head of um, engineering, Mark Jacobson, he, in uh, the November edition of Scientific American, they detail his plan, which is for 100% renewable energy for the globe. Now, it's much higher level than ours, but the globe's uh, quite difficult to model. But that's all to be achieved by 2030 under his plan. And Australia being an OECD country, being a, a leading OECD country, and also being a hyper capita emitter, achieving our goal by 2020 fits well within the Stanford University target. And so therefore, with our plan, with our plan, uh, which is endorsed by Mark Jacobson, along with uh, the International Energy Agency, he's also endorsed it, and the former chief scientist, Robin Batterham, who's seen to my left, uh, the, the former chief of defence, Peter Gration. Um, I guess the reason we chose to go with 2020 was because we need to get there, that's answering the science, and that, uh, and that it was a time frame that we could line up all the resources around. So with energy efficiency, the... Uh, the, the we deliver not only current electrical services, but we deliver um, the gas, the heat supplied by gas for industrial purposes, for, for commercial and domestic space and water heating. Um, you can see that detailed in yellow. Also in red, the fuel switching of the transport sector. So taking our transport sector today that's heavily dependent on oil imports and growing all the time. Kerry O'Brien on Tuesday night said just how much of an impact that's going to be on the Australian purse. In fact, uh, some estimates we could be importing up to $65 billion of oil by 2015 if the price of oil hits $200 a barrel. So that's a very serious impost on Australian people uh, without any services. That's just effectively a tax and you don't get any schools, hospitals, roads, anything for it. So you can see electrical services as they are today, um, we actually, they're in blue, um, we actually reduce the amount of energy delivered for the same electrical services today, but we still come in at 2020 at a higher per capita energy use than Germany. And Germany uh, is a modern economy. It has minerals processing. It has aluminium smelters. It has a, a larger industrial manufacturing base than we have, and they're not living in a cave unless you call a Mercedes a cave. So I think we can quite safely go for that sort of level of energy efficiency, and we don't even land in our model as low as the Germans are on a per head of population electrical use. You can see that our electricity consumption, our electricity supply actually grows 40%, but that's because we've actually fuel switched the gas and fuel switched uh, the, uh, the electric uh, transportation fuels. So next slide. Yep. So solar thermal with storage is our key technology, um, and it works by 
Uh, we have um, a field of mirrors, and the field of mirrors, a sea of mirrors surrounds a central receiver tower. A cold tank of salt, and it's 290 degrees cold, it's a fluid, is pumped up the tower. It receives the light of the sea of mirrors, onto, which is concentrated at the top of the tower, and then the heat is banked down the bottom in the other tank. Then any time, day or night, it's whenever you need electricity generation, you don't have to do it in the middle of the day, you just uh, run water past the salt, it flashes to steam, and then that drives a conventional turbine, the same turbine in a coal, gas or nuclear plant. So this is 24-hour solar power. It's solar power around the clock. It's solar power all through the night. This technology was developed over 30 years, 70s and 80s, 90s, by, uh, in Spain, France, the USSR and the USA. Um, this is a key power plant. This is um, the US Department of Energy, Sandia National Laboratories, uh, proving plant for commercial operation. This was run in the 90s for three years, exactly like a commercial plant. It was done in conjunction with Lockheed Martin, Bechtel and, and Boeing and, uh, and, uh, and the US Department of Energy. So today there's two companies that commercial, have a commercial offering of this technology. Uh, Senair, the biggest engineering firm in Spain, and ACS Cobra is building it. And ACS is an interesting company. It owns Hockteef in Germany, which owns Leighton Holdings, which is Australia's biggest construction company. And Leighton is also Asia's biggest construction company. So the, the other link to Australia is Wally Parsons is doing all the engineering for the American company that sells this technology, uh, directly licensed from the US DOE. And that's, uh, and that's um, Solar Reserve. And Wally Parsons, who's a great Australian engineering company, is the engineering company doing their work. So this is all stuff we can do in Australia. Uh, next slide. So here you can see at the top, Spanish, uh, one version of the, of the technology, parabolic trough plants, seven and a half hour storage. That means when the sun goes down, these plants can run flat out after dark for seven and a half hours. Um, if you throttle the turbine back, they can run for many hours longer. Um, at the bottom, you can see Hemisolar. It's one of, the sol uh, one of the molten salt power towers being built. It actually runs 15 hours after dark. So it's a 24-hour baseload solar thermal plant. And in Spain, there's $20 billion rollout out to 2013. So they're building 60 power plants. It's a serious industrial scale-up. It's, a it's a a way further than the Australian government's solar flagships program, which has recently been defunded $200 million to help cash for clunkers and is aiming to build one or two solar thermal plants by 2015 or longer. So this is a real move to renewable energy and Spain is going to hit uh, a massive amount of renewable energy by, by 2025. Something like 46% of the Spanish economy will be renewable. So, so under our plan, 60% of Australia's energy will be from solar thermal with storage and that will include 12 solar regions, and each of those will, will have 19 power towers. So if you think of Hazelwood, it has eight modules of 188 megawatts each, and that makes up a power plant. Well, we have a solar region which has 19 modules, and they're 217 megawatts each. Um, they're all air-cooled. And uh, wind power, we've got 40% um, of, of the power supplied in our system is from wind. Um, it's the cheapest form of renewable energy, so we call it, it's an economic dispatch, the first dispatch. We have 23 sites modelled. Um, of those 23 sites, they have about 270 or some sites have 400 wind turbines. So it's 6,500 turbines total. We'll provide 40% of Australia's energy under our model in 2020. Obviously, we have to upgrade the grid. Everyone shies away for spending money on the electricity grid. 
Uh, we're talking about a $92 billion upgrade to the transmission system. We designed that with Sinclair Knight Mertz, the major engineering firm here in Australia, and they did a review of it and found that it was technically feasible and uses proven technology from around the world. And so this is the grid, the national grid we could have in 2020 or 2022 or 2025, whenever we want to do it by, um, if we choose to. It's the 12 solar regions, the, the transmission there, the 23 wind sites, and you can see that overlaid on the old grid. So, next. And here's the modelling we did to show we did it over a number of years using real Australian grid data scaled up to our 2020 demand. And uh, you can see in the blue the wind coming in and out more variable. You can see the energy security you get from the dispatchable solar thermal with storage that can come on and off as you need it. And at the, at the yellow section there shows p power that we could have provided but we didn't need to. And in the middle there's some green and that's biomass co-firing of the molten salt tanks. And so we've got a small contingent of, of biomass co-firing for the winter when our modelling suggested there was slightly less uh, correlation of wind and, and solar than what we needed to keep the salt tanks topped up. We think that that's possibly a limitation of our modelling because we don't have hub height wind data for New South Wales, Queensland and WA. So in future versions of the plan, we'll be able to show much less variability in the wind and we'll also possibly be able to show you don't need any biomass co-firing. Um, so in terms of what this is about and getting the job done in 10 years, you've got to think of this as a big construction job and a big manufacturing job. It's, uh, we build 300,000 cars a year, we buy a million cars a year. We're talking about uh, 600,000 um, heliostats, which is the mirrors per annum, which is a small part of building a modern car. Okay? We're talking um, uh, 6,500 wind turbines. They could be manufactured in four uh, facilities like this one pictured in, uh, in Portugal that already operates and took a year to get going. Um, so here you can see our, our labour requirements. We did detailed labour and resource requirements. Um, for the operations and maintenance of the current domestic energy sector, we're talking 20,000 workers. Will we replace that and upgrade that to 40,000 em employees to run this sector? Um, we, also, uh, we also have a manufacturing uh, workforce to build components and parts, which can be based in the Hunter and Latrobe Valleys. So it's quite doable in context of jobs and employment in the Australian economy. So in terms of resources, concrete, it's about 7% of the concrete we currently use in the Australian economy. So you either grow our concrete production by 7% or you find savings. It's, uh, it's about 20% of our steel production onshore. But if you include our net steel from iron ore exports, it's just a sliver. Well, we did detailed assessments for silver and all the other commodities as well. That was just some examples. Um, our cost reduction curves are from the US Department of Energy and Sergeant and Lundy. So we've shown that you need actually, if you're going to have a carbon price, you need complementary measures to actually get those solar thermal plants built early and to bring the price down. Because that's been demonstrated internationally with photovoltaic in Germany and with wind in Denmark and Germany and Spain, that if you build out these renewable energy technologies and you scale them up, the price comes down. And we show that in our plan. And here, after you've got the equivalent of about one and a quarter Bayswater power plants installed in globally, the cost of solar thermal storage will be down to the cost of wind. And once you get the equivalent of four Bayswaters installed globally, we're well down to the cost of new coal-fired power generation. So it's about riding that cost reduction curve with upfront subsidies, uh, in effect, feed-in tariffs do the job. 
And here's $37 billion a year. It's a bargain for a 100% renewable energy economy. That's the cost to the investment community. In terms of electricity prices, as Quentin said, it's the equivalent of $8 per household per week, and that's to buy into a 100% renewable energy economy. So we've heard it can be done. Uh, we know it can be done. And it's our choice whether we install a square metre of mirror surface and not burn 20 tonnes of coal. So another way to put it is if we choose not to, ins not to install a square metre of mirror surface, for every square metre we don't install, we're choosing to install 20 tonnes of coal. So look, I'd like you all to join with us. This has been a collaborative research uh, effort. The University of Melbourne's team plus we've put together people who have who've offered their services uh, most of them free of charge in order to, to get this happening. It's people to help us with communications, arranging a whole lot of people put this uh, event together and they did that off their own back and, uh, and also research. So if you'd like to get involved, we'd welcome you. And if you'd like to support us, um, the university set up a, a, a tax-deductible fund that can support the research uh, and the, the further plans, the stationary energy, the transport, the industrial processes, the buildings plan, the land use change forestry agriculture, and the replacing coal export revenue. Thanks. I'm Petra Liverani. I'm a volunteer with Beyond Zero Emissions, which is a group that has a plan to make Australia completely zero carbon. They've just produced a plan for stationary energy, otherwise known as electricity, um, and that, um, that would take 10 years. Uh, the plan would take 10 years to implement, and it would be 60% solar and 40% wind. Those technologies were chosen because they're um, commercially available off the shelf. Bain has just um, commissioned a plant that we would be basing our plants on, a, a solar, a concentrated solar thermal plant. Um, concentrated solar thermal means that you can produce base load power. I mean, a, a big argument against renewables is that they can't produce base load power, but with concentrated solar thermal, you can store heat from the sun in, in molten salt, which will uh, generate power, for, can, can generate power for, say, 17 hours continuously. So it means that you can, you know, produce continuous energy. Yeah, so the plan would be about 10 solar regions consisting of each of 19 plants together and also about 22 wind farms. And wind is, you know, used extensively in uh, Europe. China is building massive wind farms, you know, so it's all, you know, doable it's all done it's all producing lots of energy and we and australia has great
fantastic solar and wind resources and plenty of land to place them in so that they're not annoying people and so on. Mm -hmm. And the solar is different to what goes the panels on your roof, isn't it? This is uh, it reflects the sun into the salt. Is that the way it's stored? I mean, it doesn't reflect it directly into the salt. It reflects it into a receiving panel at the top of a tower. It goes into a, a massive salt storage tank, which is insulated, so it stores the heat very well. And are you getting any uh, traction with the program? Is uh, the political parties taking notice and, in, and going to implement the plan? Sure. I mean, politicians, individual politicians from all, of all stripes, support the plan. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull. In, he was there at, when we launched the plan in Sydney, Bob Carr, I mean Greens politicians. It's a no-brainer really and, and so we, what, I, what we haven't heard is, well, no, you cannot do it. Like, you know, it cannot be done because it's been all thoroughly researched. It's based on what's already happening. So there's, there's no real argument against it and when you compare it, the cost of it, it's $370 billion over 10 years, $37 billion a year. Um, $37 billion a year is what we spend on insurance. Two-thirds of that amount is what we spend on gambling. So it's doable and if we don't do it, it's going to cost us far more. I guess that's the thing, people don't always think of the the longer term cost of, of inaction I guess and I guess uh, I guess the more we take up wind and solar that it will get more efficient and the cost will come down there as well exactly exactly that I mean that's how it's been costed I mean it's been costed on the directory of because renewables are going down and fossil fuels are going up so and yeah the more that it's implemented the cost goes down yeah okay. and, uh, and a question from left field I'm always interested in asking people especially in, in your organisation and in your position why do you think people don't believe the science of climate change and don't think we need to do anything about it? That's a, that's a really interesting question and I'm actually going to, I'm going to a talk on it myself in a couple of weeks because I mean I, um, I, don't, I don't really understand the psychology of it. I, I, I know that one person said that there are some people who just resist change. They just resist change and they don't, they don't like change. Um, although the change will happen regardless. So I don't know because, you know, obviously there are people with vested interests, fossil fuel companies, they have vested interests and they, they resist it. But why the average person resists it who doesn't have a vested interest, I really don't understand it. Yeah, as a practising scientist, I, I never got my letter about the conspiracy and I don't get paid that well. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, so uh, if we want to find out more about Beyond Zero Emissions, uh, where should we go to look stuff up? The website is beyondzeroemissions.org and you can, you know, um, subscribe to our mailing list. You can become a member and, uh, you know, there's various... We've produced the stationary energy plan, but there's also the buildings plan, the land use plan, the transport plan, the substitute for coal revenue plan. And so if anyone's interested, they can join one of those research groups to, to develop those other plans that are still being, you know, are still being worked on. You can become a baseload supporter because we need funding. We don't get funded by the government. We're a non-profit organisation and we, and we get funding from private donors. So um, a baseload supporter is someone who just gives a monthly donation. So that's how you can get involved. The website beyondzeroemissions.org. Just one, one question I've got in my head. So that in 10 years, if, if your plan were implemented, does that mean you're going to have built all these plants or is it just 10 years of convincing people to build the, the solar plants and wind plants? What's the, what's the idea? Um, well, no, the idea is not to build them in 10 years' time because that's too late. We need to start building them straight away. I mean, you know, we're way over time as it is. So the idea is to build them within a 10-year a time frame. The plants are, are all in regional areas and they will be greatly boost the economies of those areas. And so it's regional development, basically.
So there's an economic benefit, which is good because a lot of people that might deny the science, I don't know, seem to fall on the right wing of uh, politics. Exactly. It's, you know, just put climate science completely out of the picture and there's an economic benefit because it's going to cost us more. You know, there's also the fossil fuel running out aspect. You know, it's not just the climate science thing. It's the fossil fuels are going to run out and or they, and they're going to become much more expensive. So there's an economic benefit, yes. That's interesting. Actually, it, it seems to be lost in this debate that we're actually going to run out of fossil fuels one day. I mean, we've got plenty of coal, but we're going to run out of oil at some point soon. Yeah. And oil will become very, very expensive. That's all we have time for in this edition of the Mr. Science Show, the podcast where science meets pop culture. We're going to have a rest because we don't like to get politically active that many times in the year. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like any extra information about anything we've spoken about today, if you're interested in hearing what Bob Carr, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Ludlam said at the launch event, I've embedded the video from the event on my website and that website is www.mrscienceshow.com that's www.mrscienceshow.com as always malcolm turnbull was interesting bob carr was entertaining and scott ludlam was very measured and very intelligent as you can hear in the background i've got a teething baby so i better go take care i'll catch you next time